podcast one production. G'day, welcome to Be A Man. Gus Wallen here, Dr. Happy, how are you? I'm very well, Gus, how are you? I'm very well. This episode is all about social media and how it affects us in this particular world. Social media over the last, I don't know, a couple of years has become a very good thing and also a bit of a tough thing for us blokes to tackle. It is. Look, I think the first thing to point out is that it's just part of our world. Um, we really can't ignore it. We can't deny the fact anymore. So it's something that most of us, almost all of us, spend a pretty significant amount of time on uh, to varying degrees. So, um, you know, I think what we're going to talk about today is how we can take the good out of that, how we can make it a positive and maybe manage some of the, some of the challenges or the negatives. Okay, we've got a very special guest about to join us in a moment, but must admit, if I see a poached egg, yeah. another poached egg or <laughs> another whatever, avocado. like honestly, <laughs> who gives the monkeys what you're eating for breakfast? Why is that so important for people to, to show, look, I'm at this flash restaurant? Is it just showing off? What well, is that? Uh, well, sometimes it is, um, but I think what, what most people are trying to do is put their best foot forward. They want to post their best lives. They want people to think that they're happy and successful, etc. And that's that's kind of okay to a point. So I think as adults, we probably know this a bit more, but, but for teenagers or younger people, um, particularly with, for example, with young girls and body image, when they see this perfect body, there's a 99% chance it's been photoshopped. When they see this perfect feed, this great night out, you know, that might have been a fantastic two minutes, but there might have been another 90 minutes of boredom or or an mm. argument or so we need to understand that there's a difference sometimes often between what we see online and between the real world uh, and that's fine as long as we understand that um, and again it is something that's important for us parents particularly to try to teach our kids yeah I think we need to get the balance and, and you're right the balance hopefully is going the right direction I just want reality you know at the end of the day I know people are gonna have good times and bad times and stuff and should be able to share both as we mentioned, we have a very special guest with us today in 2016. Mitch Wallace was working in the US as a global marketing manager for Microsoft. On the outside, he was the picture of success, but things weren't so wonderful on the inside. He's now set up a social media movement called Hard On My Sleeve, which aims to smash the stigma around mental health issues. Mitch, a few years ago, you were sitting in a hotel room and you were at rock bottom, and then you recorded a video, and that went viral, and that has changed your life for good. Can you please take us back to that moment? Yeah, I will say it's um, an incredibly uh, proud moment and also a relieving moment to be able to talk about that now so freely and openly um, because at the time, obviously, when you're in it, all you think is this is what life's going to be for the rest of time. And to be here today, being able to reflect back on it shows uh, how strong the mind really is. So I was living in Seattle at the time, as you mentioned, working for Microsoft. And life had always been pretty perfect on the outside. And I'd always been uh, able to sort of cope in my own ways. Um, I was smart enough to sort of band-aid my way through my early adolescence. And then through my teenage years and, and early adulthood, my career was going well. So I never really thought that there was a need to probe any deeper. Um, and it you know, there's a lot more context to it, but in short, the volcano sort of started to erupt uh, around my mid-20s. That's for a number of reasons, whether that be work pressures, you know, transitioning from a young man to a, to a proper um, adult. And I started to not be able to hold it down like I used to. And um, I sort of looked into getting help and I was bouncing around psychologist to psychologist and that made me feel like I was the problem. And also when you're in a vulnerable state, the last thing you need is sort of more layers of uncertainty to be piled up on that. 
And I managed to find this uh, therapy center in Louisville, Kentucky, the middle of nowhere in America. And I flew myself there. I took annual leave. I didn't tell Microsoft why. And I ended up in the middle of nowhere. I went to this therapist who was a specialist in the certain type of OCD that I had. And it's exposure treatment. So they basically flood you with fear in order to overcome your fear. And it's an incredibly distressing type of uh, treatment. And it was halfway through that program where I started to break. And some of the things that were holding me up from even as a little kid, those layers started to shed. And with that shedding came incredible amounts of pain. And for whatever reason, when I was sort of having this climactic moment, I grabbed my computer and I just spoke to it. I spoke to no one. I I guess in the same time, spoke to everyone. I spoke to God. I spoke to my family. I spoke to myself. I spoke to any ounce of hope I could possibly connect with and just said, this is what it looks like to be real. This is what the perfect outside life actually translates into from that messy underneath the surface. And uh, I don't know what to do. So all I'm going to say is I don't know what to do and here's what it looks like to hurt. So the video that you did, we've now all seen it, very raw, very real. You then put that on your Facebook you put that, you sent that to people. How did people actually get to see it? That went nowhere. At that stage, uh, my mental health was an incredibly personal thing. It wasn't until f- far later down the track um, that I actually did, uh, I re- launched the Heart on My Sleeve movement and did something proactive about it where I was going for an interview on the project and they said, is there any footage maybe that you've captured in some of your more dark moments? And I said, well, there's this one, I don't know if you want to use that. And then you know, a few days later, the whole world had seen the biggest breakdown of my life. But with that came a balancing positive because I drew a heart on my arm and I asked people to be vulnerable with me and wear their heart on their sleeve. And I was prepared to show the bad side because it was balanced up with a a big message of hope and a lot of positivity. So when you were just describing that episode a minute or two ago, you you mentioned two key factors, which given that this is the Be A Man podcast, um, and if we're thinking about some of the issues that's required to be a man or what does it mean to be a man, you mentioned um, being real and not being in control. Now, most of us, rightly or wrongly, and we can say the same about women to some extent as well, but in a slightly different context, but most of us have grown up as boys or men being told you have to be in control and don't necessarily show the real you. Not consciously, but I think that's it. So they're two massive um, breakthroughs or whatever you might call it. How, what was that like? I mean, it couldn't have been easy. Incredibly difficult and now incredibly easy. I think it starts off as um, far worse as what you have in your mind to what actually happens in reality. And I think all the strong men that I know are the ones that wear their hearts on their sleeve. And that needs to be done in a way that's suitable to you. And um, I think for me, speaking up is always under the principle of all you need is one person to get it. Mm. And for me, my entire life switched when I found this guy's video on YouTube. And I, I remember it clearly. It was my worst day. I'd just been told by a psychologist, like I'd been bouncing around and this final dude basically said, you got anxiety, depression, OCD, depersonalization, all this stuff. And I remember vividly feeling like I was broken beyond repair and that he basically said, we can't help you. And I walked out onto the street in the middle of the CBD in Seattle, got on my knees and wept to the point where women were walking past saying, are you okay? And I couldn't even respond to them because I just thought, this is it. This is the beginning of the end. And, um, and it was that night, and I don't make this up for dramatic purposes, and I don't know if it's God or whatever it is, but 
I had I had nowhere else to turn to and I picked up my computer, which, by the way, is, you know, be very careful doing this because Google is not a great answer when, when you're sort of trying to find answers. So that's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is the power of connection because I found this guy's video on YouTube and he was a no one, still is a no one. He just um, got a webcam in his bedroom, recorded his story for about an hour and it was the first time that I saw someone actually be vulnerable and not have the have the facade up and went beyond just like, oh, I'm not feeling too great. He's like, I'm not feeling too great. And here's what that sort of looks like. Here's how it impacts me. Not a victim. Here's what I've learned, how I've grown and how far I've come. And it was the first time in my life that I've properly felt understood. And in that moment... Did you feel understood because all of a sudden you weren't alone? There was someone else that was out there that was feeling what you felt you were feeling? Exactly. And I think that there are dimensions to feeling alone. And there's, again, someone can say, oh, no, I get it. But you know when someone truly gets it, when they look you in the eyes and they're like, I have either been there or I can totally relate to it. Mm. And that's when something clicks. And something hugely clicked for me and I realized that a lot of the pain that we carry as part of mental health is sort of split into two parts. One is the condition, the anxiety, the depression, you know, the chemistry. And the second is our relationship to it, which another word for that is stigma. And we are 100% in control of that second half. So more than 50% of the pain can be alleviated by just thinking to myself, I am not I am bad, I am wrong, I am guilty for being depressed, I'm anxious about being anxious, but letting that second layer fall away and just be anxious because then you get all this room to cope and deal with the condition. you got the space to go see the therapist, room to do the medication, the ability for your psyche to accept maybe something isn't perfect and that's all right. Yeah, no, there's, a, there's even, uh, just to bring in a bit of technical jargon for you guys, there's this what psychologists call metacognition or the thoughts we have about our thoughts or the thoughts we have about our emotions. And, and, you've, and I think that's a really, really important point that hasn't received as much attention, well, it's starting to receive more attention now because, as I said, if I'm sitting here thinking, well, I have depression or I have anxiety or whatever, and because I have that, I'm bad. Because I have that, I'm incurable. I can't be loved, whatever. That second part is, uh, you know, as I said, it, it doubles the distress. So if we can, uh, as, as you mentioned, if we can eliminate or reduce that stigma, that second part, that makes a massive difference. And bringing it back to the the social media part, which is what, what we're focusing on, I think this is where social media can really help. There's a, uh, There has been, and we will talk about some of the negative aspects of social media. There's obviously some uh, risks we need to manage there. Um, but, but, um, you know, I think social media is a way where we can connect. We can see other people who have experienced the same sorts of things and they don't need to necessarily be in our social circle. Um, although they probably are. (laughs) Um, so yeah, what what are your thoughts on that, Mitch, about how, how social media can really help bust this stigma and, and improve people's lives? A lot of people ask me, you know, social media is the cause of so much angst. How could you use that for mental health? Um, I guess my thoughts is that social media is a huge part of our society and particularly a huge part of the millennial DNA, whether we like it or not. It's a weapon and a weapon can either be used for good or evil. It's not going anywhere. It has huge upsides in that it can scale an idea rapidly And it also provides a bit of a safety net because I guarantee you a lot more people feel comfortable reading stories, listening to people, even posting stories behind a a computer screen in their bedroom than they are talking to a therapist or talking to friends. Now, 
that can easily be abused through trolling, through victimization, through bullying. Um, but I think that it's our job as professionals or people in the industry to lead that conversation around how that's done. And I think to our earlier point, it's not as simple as walking up to someone expecting that they can receive our story. It's also not as simple as posting to social media and expecting that you're going to get a million likes and that everyone's going to understand. It's about knowing and educating on how the different ways there are to approaching self-expression and then working slowly and gradually at that person's pace to apply it so that it's relevant to their life, so that it's safe and impactful. There's some people on social media who, and please don't take this the wrong way, you walked in, you're different to what I expected. You're a smaller frame, you've got the, you've got the tat now, which is a full arm tat, you've got the hair in the long hair and a you know, ponytail and so forth. Are you calling me a hipster, guy? No, I think you are. <laughs> and there's heaps, there's a bloke called Tom Harkin, we're going to talk at, at, another, at another time um, as well, who's a big part of my foundation now. He's out there, he's like a boy whisperer, talking to young boys about it's okay not to be okay, and you two are very similar. And you're articulate and you speak well and so forth, there's a whole lot of Aussies out there that just won't relate to blokes like you. And that's not your fault. That they, they will just look upon you guys as saying, well, you know, they're different cats to me, so that might work for them but it won't work for me or be even harsher. I don't know. So how do we get the, across that you were a successful guy in Seattle when you've changed your life and you were trying to change people's lives now and you can get related to, to Bob the cement mixer guy or the people – Triple M listeners who listen to the grill team in the morning and how do we get that message across? Can we use social media for that? Yeah, because they're all there. And it doesn't, the the best thing about expression is that um, it doesn't need to necessarily be me, be the hipster, be anyone. Because what it does is one person finds inspiration from them and maybe they're a bit more Aussie and they slightly pass down the chain so that it eventually everyone feels like they're spoken to in their own language. Right. There's going to be a ton of people out there that go, you know, Mitch has got no idea the life that I live and that's okay. Um, but I do know what it's like to be a human and to suffer from emotional experiences because that is universal. Mm. I think it's a really important point, Gus, and it's something that I've um, thought about and spoken about and worked on as well because similarly when I tell my story in, in a different way, not everyone will relate to me. Yeah. But, but it doesn't you're matter. You're a hipster too, Doc. <laughs> Don't worry about that. A slightly older one maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, I think this is a really, really important point. But as, as Mitch said, th- there are lots of people out there now and increasingly more and more different sorts of men of different ages and different backgrounds. I mean, you know, I remember being quite impressed hearing MG on the grill team once talk about crying with his kids, I think it was. You know, this is a big, tough, ex-footy playing guy, you know, Aussie bloke. And there are more guys. I mean, there's a there's a guy, uh, Dan Hunt, an ex-St. George Dragon player. Yep. Now, who's Swash now Swash from the AFL, done a magical job exactly. with Pucker so, Up. Exactly. So I think we, we've got that now. And it's not just Mitch, it's not just me. There's a whole range of blokes uh, of different ages, different backgrounds, and and I think the um, you know the audience out there will hopefully be able to find at least one of us to whom they can relate. Yeah, I will say that you know e- even though the the message has been delivered by me, even in in the heart of my sleeve movement as an example, we've got the UFC lightweight champion of the world as an ambassador. We've got Matt Shervington, you know, one of the manliest men out there, the, the fastest. White, White man, man of ever. all time. Yeah, right? He'll um, tell you if you ask him. Yeah, he will. He will. <laughs> yeah. He's a great man. He is. Um, and so, 
you know, I think that people can can read past that and th- and see some truth in every story. And you know, just by the way, I like to go out and drink ten beers on the weekend and get rowdy Whoa, as a larrikin. Whoa, as well. take so, it easy, mate. I know ten. all ten of them, all ten of them. <laughs> so even though I might look different on the outside, you know, we're all the same on the inside. Now, heart on my sleeve. You've got more than a heart on your sleeve. Can you explain to us now, you've got the full sleeve and you've got a beautiful image of a lady there as well. Can you explain exactly what your charity foundation, your thought, your movement is all about? Totally. So um, as I started to slowly feel remotely better, um, or even before that, I promise- How long did it take, by the way? Um, I don't think there's a such thing as how long did it take. From from you literally taking leave at Seattle, going across and meeting and getting sort of basically stripped down to the point where you felt, you know what, I'm well enough now to actually have this foundation or whatever. Yeah. How long was that process? Probably between six to nine months. Okay. Um, Pretty but, quick. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm a huge believer in saying you're never fixed. I don't think that's a goal. It just creates room for revenge from a mind that wants to find flaws in what you're doing. I think that being stable and being functioning is always the goal. Um, And I promised myself if I was ever stable and functioning again, because I really didn't believe that I would ever get there, uh, I would give that glimmer of hope that that one YouTube guy gave to me to as many people as I possibly could. Did you ever meet the YouTube guy? No, and I don't want to in case he lets me down. <laughs> no, you've got to see him. You've got to meet up with him and tell him that you, you he saved your life. There's only a downside to that. You know, he, he, you know it's like meeting your favourite You know he's waiting outside model. the yeah, studio right here. now. This yeah. is going to be an open in, moment. <laughs> yeah. No, but you've got to see him. Yeah, eventually. I mean, I did reach out to him um, and he's obviously not available. I never heard back. And it's sort of a blessing in disguise because he's – his transference, as we'd call, I guess, in a psychological setting, is it lives with me every day. And um, and so uh, I was down at Balmoral Beach actually um, having a coffee with a friend and um, he, I was sort of slowly starting to open up and he was really surprised at my level of openness and vulnerability and said, wow, you're really wearing your heart on your sleeve. And I thought, what if that could be a platform for people to also tell their story. And I didn't think much of it. I just recorded a video of, of how my life wasn't the perfect thing that everyone saw driving the Porsche, you know, meetings with Robert Downey Jr. in Hollywood and all this stuff. It was actually this huge mess and that I was actually a crazy person by a lot of definitions. And I drew a heart on my arm in pen and I just said, if this relates, draw a heart on yours and, and tell your story. And within a week, we'd reached a million people. And that night I was on the project and blah, 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 the rest is history. But most importantly, I know that people understood it. And I know that it wasn't just Bondi and Mossman because we've seen hundreds of stories from people all over Sydney, all over Australia and all over the world say, finally, there's a platform for me to come and be heard. And can I just jump in just a bit, because I think there's a, a really important point within Gus's question about how long did it take, that it, it's an ongoing process. I think it's really important. Sure. You know, I like to say I'm we, a work in progress. We, we all are, and we, you know, whether it's, I mean, I, I don't, I've never fully recovered from mental ill health. I mean, it, it's a, it has its ups and downs and it cycles. I have much better periods and some worse periods, but also about being a man, and I was actually talking to Gus about this earlier, as a father particularly, uh, it's ongoing, it changes. So, you know, being a father of teenagers is different to being a father of younger children, and I'm sure in another few years when they've at uni or left home be different again. 
Um, so I think this is you know, the, the big question in this podcast is how do you be a man or what does it take to be a man? It will change. And we all need to, to be a good human is an ongoing process that we all need to, I think, constantly review and, and, uh, uh, and improve as best we can. Totally. And for me, being a good human is whacking a tattoo on your arm. Yeah. <laughs> and it, like to your question before, um, yeah, I did believe in it tat. enough to, I put it on my arm. I, I put the heart on my arm, but I've also got uh, a big lady on here, which is a metaphor She's for my gorgeous. mom. Yep. Who's, uh, who's been. She looked like that in real life? Uh, I don't know, mate. You'll have to find you have out to bring, yourself. bring your mum in next <laughs> <Yeah>. time. <laughs> I'll bring her along. Definitely. Gus is trying to hit on my mum. Thank you, everyone. Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, she, my family is the reason that I, I stand up. Like that guy's story for sure changed my life. But if it wasn't for my mum, literally she flew to Mexico, we met there. And I have also have a lion and an elephant tattooed on me. And um, she said to me, looked me in the eyes, I remember sitting on the beach and she goes, I know that there's a lion in there somewhere. you got to reach in there and get it for me, Mitch. And That's awesome. at that time I was like... I can't tell you how broken I was. Like I was going hour by hour. I was absolutely down and out and I couldn't hold any ounce of hope in me. I couldn't hold anything. She had to hold that for me. And it, it, it had to be her telling me, I believe in you when you can't believe in yourself. You got to dig deep for me now, buddy. Dig and dig when, when someone, the, the mantra of the man up show in the end was um, man ups speak up so I've got man up on the front of my t-shirt and people sort of go oh like that sometimes and then I go look at the back and they go yeah now we're talking because man up shut up is now hopefully something that we can sort of put to the side but there was a part of man up shut up which your mum was talking about there a bit of resilience there like I know I've known you from day one you've got it inside you go and grab that tiger so there's a part of you that we need to have a bit of resilience around mental health and also social media when i talk to my daughters and i go oh that lady said this or that or this i say dal ring them up talk to them go to school look them in the eye and have that conversation with them then they may not have meant what you think they meant because it all looks a little strange when you've got whatsapp chats and there's 10 people all in it and you're all trying to outsmart each other and you're all trying to be the cheeky one or whatever it might be and then the language drops as well the f-bomb is so you know i've never heard you say the f-bomb but i'm reading your whatsapp and it's got f-bomb in there so what is that all about so for, for me, social media is massive, but you've got to have a little bit of resilience as well around it. And that's the whole issue. And that's what your mum dragged out of you on that beach in Mexico. Absolutely. It's it's not as simple as everyone just needs to tell everyone how we feel all the time. Because like to Tim's earlier point, that's not helpful or safe. It's also about cultivating a, a good relationship with yourself and being like, nah, like I can, I can bloody do this. Like I'm going to get in the ring with this thing and I'm going to go 10 rounds and then I'm going to go another 10 if I need to. I think what was also interesting or what I loved about your story with your mum is that sometimes manning up um, means leaning on other people. Yeah, you know, totally. We don't have to do totally. it all on our own. In fact, yes. we, we often can't do it all on our own. Whether it's a, a mum or a wife or a friend or whoever it might be, sometimes being a man is reaching out and asking for help yeah. and, and letting people help us. That's, that's hard because as, as men, I think we're often very proud. And one of the most courageous things you can do is let the pride go just enough to say, yep, another hand would be helpful right now. Did you have to let the pride go a little bit when you went back to Microsoft and said, look, I'm not coming back into that role? Yeah. Uh, because I imagine that they, they were taken back 
by that because you hadn't told them that you were leaving for a particular problem. You just took annual leave. How difficult was that? Because there might be some people listening to us now going, gee, sounds like he had a perfect life. I'm a bit like him, but I don't know quite how to break away from it. Mm. It's it's a slow process and it needs to be gradual. Um, I think it starts with one person. And for me, you know, that was my family. I, I had, you know, I saw one, I received one person through the through viewing and then I told one person. And that's all you really need. Um, and the good thing is, is that if you have a few bad experiences, like you said at the start, you know, I, I told someone I got told to fuck off. And it's like, well, that I guess it's how it is. It's not. And that's the thing. It's same as finding a psychologist. You go and talk to one psychologist and as blokes, we often go, fuck me, if that person didn't understand me, no one's gonna. Yeah. But that's not the case. You know, it took me nine people until I finally went, wow, that's all right. And it might take you nine people until one of your mates goes, mate, I totally get it. And whatever you need, I'm here. Yeah. In fact, can you can I be your guy and you can be my guy because I've got the same problems. Yeah. So what we're just uh, saying, if there's someone out there, and I'm sure there's going to be more more than one person out there who's thinking, I'd like to be a bit more hard on my sleeve. I'd like to share a bit more of my authentic self, but I'm scared or I don't know how to do it. What would you say to them? If you can't find someone in your immediate network, a therapist is uh, is a great place to go. But I think that we're often reluctant to do that. If you can't go to anyone. And if you can't go to, um, if you can't speak, listen, listen to people's stories because that'll help the changing process. And there's plenty of places to listen. You know, there's different charities who are doing it. Um, this podcast is one of them. Um, but I think... Well, just to show you're not alone by listening, saying, yeah. listening to other people get the same problems that might just relieve that pressure. You're not the only one in the room. With yeah. The it's like your brain allows you to, to go okay, maybe we can because we've seen it enough times now. And I like to say, and I really liked what Mitch said earlier about how um, it's just one of, there's a range of options, a range of ways we can do it. And what I hope is through this podcast and through things, through movements like Heart I Must Leave and other similar ones, that if people can listen to, to 10 or 20 or however many different stories, um, they won't relate to all of them, but they might relate to some and then they'll learn maybe, well, maybe that's the way that I can do it. Yeah. And I will say that the second half of my other point was that um, – as supporters, and everyone in some way is a supporter. We're a speaker and a supporter. And they're, they're really complementary skills. Um, the biggest question I've had since launching the movement is, A, where do I go to find a good therapist? And B, um, how do I help someone? I've got a mate who's not doing well. And my response to that is 90% of supporting someone is listening. Like it really isn't your job to fix. Let the experts be the experts. And a lot of the times they're not really looking for a solution. And as blokes, we're uncomfortable when someone tells us something that's not wrong. The first thing we want to do is problem solve. And that's good. We have good intent. But sometimes the best thing you can do instead of speaking is just opening up the arms and being like, bring it in. Mm. Like, let's have a hug. Like, land them first. Truly hear what they're saying before you move into problem-solving mode. Gus loves a hug. I do love a hug. And I've, I've got a foundation off the back of Man Up called Gotcha for Life. And what we talk about, Mish, I'd love your thoughts on it. It's very similar to what you're doing is that we you have a proper conversation. And when I say a proper conversation is one when someone's listening and open and honest. That can't end in a handshake. That's got to end in a man hug. So we've got to learn how to do that properly and make sure that people don't feel a bit weird because, you know, sometimes I hold on a little inappropriately too long or situation happens. So guys have got to – I think we're doing that more now, but you've got to find that one person that sort of got you for life is basically my the way I look at it 
So that's that person you can talk to about absolutely anything at any time and you know that that's going to be okay. Totally. And I think the the solution to, to making a, a hug a good man hug is a slap on the back. Often blokes, we need to like... And or on a just a little, I like little love a little tap, tap. little tap, yeah. Tap. It breaks all the. Hey, by the way, this isn't sexual type of vibe. It's got to be up high. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be not going down high. near the butt. No, 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 no. Way too low. Not there, down there for dancing. No way. <laughs> what? Uh, if I could just break up the hug for one minute or so. If we, I guess I was thinking, if we were, uh, and if we imagine if we're sitting here in a year's time, um, what would you hope? What are you hoping to achieve with Heart of My Sleeve Movement? If we're going to, the next twelve months are being fantastic. Um, yeah, where, where would where would the movement be? So we're trying to um, humanize mental health, one heartfelt story at a time. That's sort of our, our mission, and everything falls out of that out of that um, statement. We we rally around three core pillars. So the first thing we're trying to do is help eradicate stigma and we're joining the community of people who are trying to do that. The second thing is we're trying to create preventative education resources, building education platforms that enable people not only to sort of talk but learn. And so we're about to launch an e-learning series uh, that enable people to go on and do almost, if you will, like a juice cleanse for how do you move from I've never told anyone to I might want to tell lots of people. We can't expect others to know what that looks like. And so we're building programs that take them through week by week that's online led. So it's very accessible, um, that gets you to a point of feeling speak up ready. And, um, we're then creating these online groups that enable you to practice those conversations. And so environments where you can have these safe environments with a couple of blokes in a room or, and also girls and learn what it's like to say things that, that feel awkward and also to receive things that might feel awkward. Our third goal is then around primary health services. So, um, you know, storytelling is related to stigma. Education is related to prevention. Um, And we believe infrastructure is related to primary health services. And that's a really corny way of saying every dollar that we raise beyond what it takes to fund the movement, we put towards a technology mental health incubator that funds solutions that are solving things like how do you find the right therapist using artificial intelligence and video conferencing technology? And how are we not just addressing the stigma and the education, but getting into the primary heart of the medical zone that technology can address and empowering other young, smart people who have these ideas to go and bring them to fruition? Sounds pretty cool. You're going to have a busy year ahead. Can I talk about your mum for a moment? that moment on the beach in Mexico. Mm. Not in not in a sexual We're way, We're back doctor. to my mum again, Gus. No, Jeez. But <laughs> what is, what is, take a moment, take 10 seconds to explain your relationship with her now when you've had obviously a close link for her to fly and be there with you and get you through it. But now she must look at you and just go, wow, you know, there he's found his lion, he's found his tiger, he's got a whole zoo in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it gets me... Uh, I would say that I've done this all for her. Yeah. She's like, um, I can't really describe in words how much I love her and what she's done for me. Um, I said on the night that we went live um, that all I want to do is make her proud. That's like my life's goal, just to give a little bit back of not everyone's fortunate to feel as loved as I feel. And... I want to be able to share that. I think she's proud of you. 
I'm sure she is. It's been really wonderful. We could talk all day to you. What what you've what you've done and what you are doing is amazing, and you're just a part of this wonderful young community now that just understand what masculinity is and what it actually takes to be a man in this country. And to have you on the show, Doc and I are very pleased. Thanks for your time, brother. Thank you very much, guys. And keep up the great work. Thanks, mate. Let's talk about social media, Doc. You've got some tips on, well, for people listening, how to best deal with it, good and bad. Yeah, look, I, I think that's the main point I'd like to make to begin with is there is good and bad. Like almost everything in life, there's pros and cons. Um, you know, too often we focus on the bad, I think, um, and we do need to be aware of that, but there are some positives. So um, it's really about, uh, and it will be different for every person. That's really important to, to state. Everyone will use it differently and get different things out of it. But but the main goal, I suppose, is to make the most of the positive aspects and manage the negative aspects. So, so the positive aspects are uh, it's a great way, as we've just heard, to hear stories, uh, to connect to people. People, to find other people who may have experienced something similar to you in this context or or just to find other people with like interests. Um, it's a great way to keep up to date with certain things that you're interested in, etc. So we want to use it as best we can to connect with other people and I guess ideally to enhance our real world lives. And this is how I see social media should be used as a way to make our real lives better. It's not a life in itself. It's a way to, you know, to meet up with friends. Um, to go to great events, etc. But we do also need to be aware of some of the risks and we've uh, heard briefly about things like maybe trolling or cyberbullying or um, and inappropriately comparing our average lives, what seem like our massive lives to, to the uh, seemingly perfect lives on social media. We need to be very careful about that. And that comes down to being realistic that, you know, when we see someone's feed, that's probably not their whole life. It's probably only 5% of their real lives. And there's a whole lot of messy shit we, we don't see. We need to remind ourselves of that. Um, if people are being negative, so, so to come back to the issue that we talked about, Mitch, if, if you are, if you do want to take that step to share authentically some genuine parts of your life, um, be realistic. Know that not not everyone will necessarily agree with you or like that. that that's okay. You can either ignore them, uh, you can block them, uh, you can try and respond and educate them. It depends a bit on the context and who you are, who they are. Um, but it is important to have some, uh, you know, proactive strategies to deal with that. So they're really, you know, just to keep it short and sweet, we want to make the most of it. Find out what works for you. Find out what makes you feel better and do more of that. Um, but also find out the things that upset you or be aware of some of the risks and manage that as best as possible. No, also that, you know, we know from the research that too much time online is probably not a great thing. So it should be contained to some extent. Okay. So to some extent, half an hour, 45 minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, an hour and a half. What is that magic figure? Well, um, I'd love to give you a simple answer, but I, I have to be honest, say there isn't one. I get asked this by parents particularly all the time. And say, 30, say 30 minutes, which is what I, my wife and I say to our three kids. 30 minutes a day on that and then the phones for dinner and you can't have your phones in your rooms, they go into a basket and they charge overnight so you don't have them in your rooms. Uh, well, look, yes and no. Because Too harsh? Think, well, no, I think we need to be careful. That, look, but we need to separate quantity from quality. So so this, we can talk about the amount of time. And again, I, I think the reality is that would differ for different people or different contexts, different ages, but we also need to think about what they're doing. So for example, if I, if I look at my online life, I do a whole range of things. Some of it is research and education. Some of it is just scanning random crap but um yeah so so not you know every minute online is not the same and it's the same with our kids for example you know our kids will these days do homework online or they'll do research that's not the same as just sure. gaming or social media but, yeah but definitely I'm talking about them on facebook or whatsapp or snapchat or whatever it might be well 
the, the guidelines that most of the experts uh, would say is some, and it depends a bit on the age of the child, sure. but somewhere between one and two hours a day, which sounds like a lot. It does sound like a lot. That's what most of But they're of at the, school for eight, they're sleeping for eight, <laughs> exactly. they're eating and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't give them a lot of time to go and climb a tree. It doesn't. And that's actually the most important point, I think, really. The how much is enough depends on what they're doing in other aspects of their life. So we need to put it in the context. They need to be getting out and being active. They need to be doing their homework. They need to be reading books. They need to be talking to real people in the real world. If they're going to do all those things, then that, by definition, will limit the amount of time they're staring at a screen. Mm. Okay, it's a difficult one. There's no real answers to it. And I suppose at the end of the day, if you're a parent, be a parent. If this episode caused any concerns, please contact lifeline.org.au or give them a call, 13 11 14. The Be A Man podcast series is presented by me, Gus Warland, and my great mate, Dr Tim Sharp, produced by the beautiful Liv Proud, and executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Be A Man is recorded at the studios of Podcast One Australia. For more episodes of Be A Man, head to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app or look us up on iTunes. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate and review us.